So I've got a coin here. It's got heads on one side, tails on the other. Sherry, heads or tails? You can stay. Well done. Nice. You know, sometimes we flip a coin to see who gets to go first in a ball game. Sometimes we flip a coin because in a contest there's two winners and you only have one prize, so you flip a coin. Sometimes maybe you're taking a true or false test and in your mind at least you flip a coin because you have no idea what to check and which box. We talk about two sides of the same coin that we, we kind of, the idea I guess that there's two different perspectives regarding the same event, the same thing. It rains all weekend, a farmer is thrilled, a fisherman is frustrated. Bardstown's the bourbon capital of the world. Some people are really excited about that. Other people, not so much. For every tornado that destroys lives, there are storm chasers out there who are trying to get as close to one as possible. Because there's two sides to every coin. We talk about the other side of the coin, or on the flip side. And what that usually means is if we're looking at things from one perspective, there's probably a whole group of people who are looking at the same thing from the opposite side. Years ago, I was preaching at a church up in Indiana, and they had this huge pipe organ. It's one of only a handful around the country, and people would come from all over to hear this thing being played. And one Sunday morning, it was around Easter time, man, they were just, it was loud. We were cranking that thing up, and I mean, you know, just filled the room and then when it ended it just kind of reverberated you know and it got quiet and there was a little boy in about the third row and he just went yay (laughs) and I mean everybody loved that but I promise you there were people during that song in that room who were thinking that organ's too loud there were people in that room who were saying if it's going to be this loud I wish it was an electric guitar and not an organ because there's always two sides to every coin I entered a photograph in a photo contest years ago And I read about how to create this photograph. I hung a black piece of material in the living room. I got an autumn leaf from outside and I attached it to the fabric. I got a stick and I positioned it in front of the leaf. I got a little dropper, an eyedropper, and I put a drop of water on the stick. And I began to take pictures from different angles. And suddenly something magical happened and I got this picture. Man, I was so excited. That's a reflection of the leaf in the droplet of water. I I was so excited, I wanted to go dancing all over the neighborhood, you know. And so I entered that picture in a photo contest, and it scored really low. And man, I couldn't figure it out. One of my friends said, I think the judges didn't even understand what it was. I think they didn't realize that was a reflection of the leaf. Maybe they thought you just photoshopped that into the picture. I don't know. I thought maybe they were just idiots. But anyway... I thought I had a winner, and instead, they were unimpressed, because there's two sides to every coin, two different ways of looking at the same thing. I read an article this week, I thought it was really fascinating, it was about journalism in general, and specifically about how journalists have handled the pandemic. An economics professor at Dartmouth College was noticing how negative the news always seemed to be regarding COVID. When COVID cases were rising, they put all the emphasis on the increase. But when COVID cases were falling, they found places where they were still going up, and they talked about those. When the vaccine started to show some good results, uh, they would downplay any good news. 
And to see if it was just his opinion or if that really was correct, he began to work with a team of researchers. And they looked at news outlets across the board. You know, liberal, conservative, CNN, Fox News, New York Times, MSNBC. Uh, they looked at outlets not just in the United States but around the world. And they proved scientifically what you and I already know. Journalists focus on the negative. They intentionally give us a steady diet of bad news. Now, the researchers were quick to say that it's not that the news media is reporting falsehood. They're just choosing to emphasize the negatives. And before we start pointing fingers, here's what else they discovered in their research. The most read stories, the most shared stories on social media are the negative stories. It could be argued that the media is giving us what we want. Bad news sells and good news doesn't. What I'm saying is that there's two sides to every coin. And we often choose which side we are going to focus on. For instance, there's something amazing happening in India right now. Our church, among other missions, helps support Central India Christian Mission. And on the campus of that ministry in Demo, they have a Bible Institute. They offer a one-year intensive program to prepare ministers to go out and plant churches. Now, it's not a, it's not a full bachelor's degree or anything like that, but it's a, a very intense, high-impact kind of program. And they typically have between 100 and 120 students at a time. Now, COVID has put an end to students being on campus. The program had to move to online, but that's what's so fascinating. Many people have access to the internet in India, though a lot of people aren't able to travel long distances to get to the campus. Many of them can't do a year of on-campus housing. So when their ministry degree program switched to online because of the pandemic, instead of having 120 students this past year, they had over 7,500 students, not just in India, but in the surrounding countries as well. The biggest challenge right now is that each graduate receives a packet of, of books and materials to help them write sermons, to help them kind of work with their church. It's about a $30 packet, and when you have 120 students, I mean, that's a chunk of money, but it's doable. When you suddenly jump to 7,500 students, for every one of those that completes the course, that costs skyrockets. So that's why next month we're going to talk about how for a few bucks, you can help equip a pastor in India for ministry. Listen, nobody's glad there's a pandemic. Nobody's happy that Central India Bible Academy has had to close its campus. The coronavirus has been a nightmare for any number of reasons. But on the flip side, thousands of church planters are being mobilized for ministry. Friends, listen to me. I want to encourage you today to not give in to despair. For every bad thing that's happening right now, there's a flip side. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I have really been struggling lately with all that's been going on. A year ago, we had momentum going here. Uh, it was just really, really strong. We had tons of visitors. People were getting baptized. Our nursery was busting at the seams. And then, as you know, March of 2020, it all ground to a halt. And after that initial shockwave kind of wore off, we rallied and we got going online and then 10 weeks later, we got back together in here and still online, of course, as well. And we started small, and then we've grown over these last months. But on a personal level, 
I feel like I held up pretty well through Christmas. I mean, things were crazy with trying to be in person and online, and it was hard to stay connected with people who weren't able to be with us. And there were people that I care about deeply who kind of fell off the radar. But I think I held up pretty well through the end of 2020. But I just got to be honest, January, February, and March have kicked my butt. I just, I've really struggled this year. I've been discouraged, just kind of worn out. And I'm not blaming the media. I'm not blaming the governor. I'm not blaming COVID per se. I'm simply admitting to you that the challenges of the last year have caught up with me. That's why I wanted to talk to you today about this whole idea of a coin. We can't let all the bad news on the one side of the coin distract us from the good news on the other side. We can't let all that we can't do keep us from doing what we can. We can't stop celebrating the good things because on the flip side, there's also some bad things. You know what? Church isn't where it was a year ago. But we've got about 70, 75% of our people coming back. We're averaging 40 to 50 views each week on our YouTube channel. That represents maybe 75 people who are worshiping with us off-site. That means during the pandemic, Nelson Christian Church is reaching more people than maybe we ever have. There are two sides to every coin. We decide where we want to focus. And I hope this is making sense because this finally brings us to the idea of Palm Sunday. Man, if ever there were two sides to every coin, it was Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Two ways of looking at the same events. I want to talk to you today, Friday, and next Sunday about some really important things because there's two sides to every coin. Today I want to show you from the Gospel of Luke what happened on Palm Sunday. And then I want to zero in on one word that offers a fascinating example of this two sides of the same coin. It's Sunday. It's five days before the crucifixion of Jesus. Rumors are flying around Jerusalem. Jesus is coming. Jesus is here. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is coming to rescue us. Jesus is bringing peace to us. Jesus is the true King of Israel. And one of the Old Testament prophets, Zechariah, declared hundreds of years before Christ that the king would one day ride humbly into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. And here he is. It's his triumphal entry. This is Palm Sunday, Luke 19, 35. They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Man, can you imagine what this moment was like? We talked about it during the Luke series last year. For three years of ministry, Jesus had been telling his followers to keep quiet about his miracles. He understood that if he stirred up too much attention, too much excitement too soon, it would force the hand of the religious leaders. They would come after him before he was ready. See, he's, he's working everything out according to his plan, according to his timing, and now it's time. I mean, don't miss the implications of this moment. William Barclay explained it this way. It is breathtaking to think of a man with a price on his head, an outlaw, deliberately riding into a city in such a way that every eye was fixed upon him. 
He said it's impossible to exaggerate the sheer courage of Jesus. And how did the people respond? With joy. They threw their cloaks on the road so Jesus' feet and even the feet of the donkey wouldn't have to touch the ground. Matthew and Mark tell us us in, in their Gospels that the people cut palm branches and they're waving them around and they're putting them on the road with the cloaks. That's why we call this Palm Sunday. The people are going crazy. He's their king. Peace is coming. David's royal kingdom was about to be restored to its former glory. At least that's what they thought. I mean, can you imagine this worship service, what it was like? Jesus is finally getting the recognition that he deserves. Which brings me to a side road that I want to chase a rabbit down for just a minute. Truthfully, it's one of the reasons I resent COVID-19. Because of social distancing, we've had to block off half our seats, and I understand that I really do. We want to keep people safe. And because of the spread of germs, we wear face masks, and I get it. You don't want my spit in your face, and I don't want your spit in my face. I mean, I understand. And because we don't know exactly how everything spreads, we don't shake hands, and we're not hugging like we used to. And we say, well, it's a small price to pay to keep people safe. But then there are disagreements over the rules. Is this working? Is that really important? Is the vaccine going to help? Is it not going to help? Is it safe? Is it not safe? And it goes on and on. Now, I'll be honest with you. I wear a mask And I use hand sanitizer not to keep from getting the virus, but to keep from spreading the virus. Same with the vaccine. I got the vaccine not to keep from getting COVID, but to keep from spreading COVID. That's how I feel about it. You may feel differently. That's okay. But here's what happens. People come into the worship service, and the room's half empty. kind of has to be. And a lot of people are wearing masks, and it makes it hard to communicate when we're going in and out. And we're not hugging and shaking hands like we used to. And sometimes people are grumpy because of how things are right now. And so when we sing, it's just harder to get into the singing. And when I say something truly hilarious, there's a minor response. And when the band finishes a big song, you know, instead of kind of clapping like maybe we used to, celebrating God's goodness and just saying, yes, we agree with that, there's kind of this glum look. And that's just a word I don't use very often, but that's sort of how COVID culture feels. Look, I'm not fussing at you. I'm confessing to you. This is just how it feels. That's why I want to grasp what Palm Sunday was like. Picture it. I mean, the people are dancing and they're shouting and they're waving branches. They're singing and they're clapping their hands and there's all this joy and all this excitement. I love in the video when Jesus laughs as the people are are just kind of gathered around and there's so much excitement. I resent COVID not only for stealing our health, but for stealing our joy. We've let a virus and this wall of separation that it's created rob us of joy. Or maybe I should say I have, you guys might be doing great. But I don't know how to undo the damage. I don't know how to take us back 14 months. I I don't know how to instill that joy again. I don't want to be like some rah-rah cheerleader up here trying to stir up a false sense of excitement when there's nothing to be excited about. What I want to say is that we choose which side of the coin we're going to focus on. 
Again, look again at, at the Palm Sunday Parade. Jesus is in their midst. That's why they're excited, because Jesus is there. You know what the Bible says? It says when two or more are gathered in his name, he is right there in their midst, which kind of puts us on equal footing with Palm Sunday. The Bible says the people joyfully praise God with loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, where's my miracle? How about a God who loves you, a Savior who wants to rescue you, and a Holy Spirit who promises to not just live inside of you, but to help you find your way? We have a choice, friends, every day what we're going to focus on, where we turn our attention, how to face the troubles that come into our lives. Let me ask you this. Do we have less reason to celebrate than the crowds did on that first Palm Sunday? Yeah, of course not. We have so much more to celebrate than they did. When we gather for worship, we can be like the Pharisees who stood around, you know, complaining because the people were out of control. Or we could be like the crowds who saw their king coming to save them. Now, did they understand what that was going to look like? Did they understand what salvation was going to be? Not at all. In fact, they were so fickle, they turned on Jesus just a few days later because he refused to overthrow Rome. He refused to be the kind of king they were looking for. They wanted him to put the Jews back on top. But listen, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that Jesus didn't come to take over the world. He came to save the world for eternity. He didn't come to defeat Rome. He came to defeat sin and death. He came to bring us salvation. So look, I don't say, wouldn't it be nice if we clapped once in a while just so the band will feel better or to fill the silence? I just think it's a way to say, yes, God, you know what? We love you. And, and when you sing, I don't say sing out because I want you to let everybody know what a great voice you have. I just think it's a way for us to say, thank you, God, for what you've done. And when you come in, I don't want you to lie and say you're doing great when you're doing terrible. I want you to be able to be honest and transparent. All I'm saying is, we've got to remember that God still cares and that Jesus still saves and that the troubles of life do not eliminate the joy of our salvation. I want us to look for ways to engage in celebration, even when times are hard. The creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. The son of God came to earth to give his life for you. That first Palm Sunday, there had not been an outpouring of praise like this since 33 years earlier in Bethlehem when the angels told the shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. In 30 years of obscurity, three years of ministry, Jesus is traveling here, he's preaching there, let's not stir up too much attention too soon, and then suddenly here he is, public declaration the king has come and the crowds erupt in praise and this scene is electrifying and when the pharisees call for silence jesus says if they keep quiet the stones are going to cry out because heaven cannot be silent anymore and part of me is tempted to think i wish i would have been there but friends the reality is i'd rather be right here we are on the better side of the crucifixion and resurrection. We have the good news of the gospel today. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the joy of salvation to offer. And we're living at a time in history when we can spread the gospel literally around the world. We have so much to celebrate. 
And next Sunday is Easter, the most important day of the year. The reminder that Jesus not only died on the cross to save us from our sins, but he rose from the dead to prove that all his promises are true. We're going to have more people worshiping with us here in this building next Sunday than we've had for the past two years. I just want to say, let's make sure they experience joy. I want people to hear us sing and maybe see us clap and and laugh with us and see us share life together. And maybe they'll receive a touch from Jesus that they never have before. And maybe they're going to gain some encouragement at a time when they need it so desperately. I mean, I don't know if this is making any sense or not to you. I'm just saying Easter is about worship, and worship is about celebration, and celebration is about joy. And we see that from Palm Sunday. But that's not all we see. On the other side of the coin, Jesus knew that Friday was coming. Jesus understood that the crowds would quickly turn on him. Jesus felt a little like John Calipari. 38 and 1, you're on top of the world. 9 and 16, they want to tar and feather you. Not everybody. I'm just kind of making a little comparison there. Crowds can turn fast. Jesus was a disappointment to those who had had a set of expectations about the coming kingdom. He was king of kings on Palm Sunday. He'd be hanging on a cross by Friday. Let me show you what else happened to the triumphal entry. Verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. They will encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus didn't weep for all he was about to endure. He wept for all that the people of God were about to endure. Because of their stiff necks and their hard hearts, Within 40 years, Rome was going to come in and completely destroy the city of Jerusalem. We know from history that some 600,000 Jews were killed during that onslaught. And as Jesus looked at the city, so beautiful, so serene, and so alive, he couldn't erase the picture of what was coming, so he wept. See, even for Jesus, there are two sides to every coin. Palm Sunday brought him the praise that he deserved. It also brought a reminder of the pain and heartache that were to come. He would endure much between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. You can't have a resurrection without the crucifixion. You don't regain hope unless hope had been lost. So here he is on Palm Sunday. On one side of the coin, praise. On the other side of the coin, pain. And the question becomes, can you have joy on both sides of the coin? And I would suggest that joy can be in both places. Because joy is based on certainty about the future. It's not based on the circumstances in the present. Here's the bottom line. We have joy because of what's coming, not because of what's happening. We have joy because of what's coming, not because of what's happening. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the triumphal entry of Jesus. 
But there's a fascinating word that appears in Matthew, Mark, and John, but it's not in Luke. Luke probably left it out because he was writing to a Gentile audience, and they would not have been familiar with this old Hebrew word. And they wouldn't have had me there to explain to them what it means, like I'm going to do for you. Okay, okay. So this Hebrew word, Hosanna. Hosanna. It originally meant, save us. Please, save us. Hosanna was a cry for help. That's what the video showed just a little bit ago. If you noticed, Hosanna, please save us. But the fascinating thing is that over time, the word Hosanna developed a second meaning. It became, thank you for saving us. It became, instead of a request for help, an expression of praise. Two sides to the same coin. In fact, Psalm 118 in the Old Testament references a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. It says in Psalm 118 that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that's talking about Jesus. He was rejected, and yet now he's the cornerstone for everything. In Psalm 118, it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, talking about the coming Savior. And that's exactly what the people of the triumphal entry were shouting. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But in Psalm 118, it also says, Hosanna. David says, King David says, Lord, save us. Lord, help us. And then the assurance comes, the Lord has made his light shine upon us. And light always was representative of Jesus in the New Testament. David wrote Psalm 118 as a need for salvation, please save us. He also wrote about God granting salvation, and so the word means thank you for saving us. So here's my question. Which side of Hosanna are you on? Are you on the please side or are you on the thank you side? Are you on the side of Hosanna that says, please save me? Or are you on the side of Hosanna that says, thank you for saving me. See, on the one side, maybe it's that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never repented of your sins. You've never confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've never been baptized. You're on the side of Hosanna where you need to cry out, please save me. But many of us here are on the other side. Jesus has saved us. We've given our heart and life to him. And so if we're on the side of Hosanna that says, thank you for saving me, then my challenge to you is reclaim your joy. Reclaim your joy. Stop letting circumstances dictate your attitude. And I'm talking to me too. Alexander Solzhenitsyn grew up in communist Russia. He was born into faith, but he lost his faith as a boy. He regained it later in life. He spent eight years in a Russian labor camp for criticizing Joseph Stalin and his regime. Solzhenitsyn later won the Nobel Prize in Literature. And Chuck Colson wrote this about Solzhenitsyn in his book, Loving God. Colson said, Like other prisoners, Solzhenitsyn worked in the fields, his days a pattern of backbreaking labor and slow starvation. One day the hopelessness became too much to bear. Solzhenitsyn felt no purpose in fighting on. His life would make no ultimate difference. And so laying his shovel down, he walked slowly to a crude worksite bench. He knew that at any moment, a guard would order him up, and when he failed to respond, would bludgeon him to death, probably with his own shovel. He had seen it happen many times. And so as he sat waiting, head down, he felt a presence, 
Slowly he lifted his eyes. Next to him sat an old man with a wrinkled, utterly expressionless face. Hunched over, the man drew with a stick in the sand at Solzhenitsyn's feet the sign of the cross. And as Solzhenitsyn stared at that rough outline, his entire perspective shifted. He knew that he was merely one man against the all-powerful Soviet empire, and yet in that moment, he also knew that the hope of mankind was represented by that simple cross. And through the power of the cross, anything was possible. Solzhenitsyn got back up, he picked up his shovel, he went back to work. He not, did not realize that day that his writings on truth and on freedom would one day spread around the world. Friends, we have joy because of what's coming, not because of what's happening. And so if you're on the please side of Hosanna, you need to be saved. Then my challenge to you is that you surrender to Jesus. If you're on the thank you side of Hosanna, the flip side, the Jesus has already saved you side, reclaim your joy. Because joy is about what's coming. It's not about what's happening. Let's pray. Father, we think about what it would have been like on that first Palm Sunday the people living in such bondage and frustration and oppression. And here comes the king. And their expectations were skewed. They didn't understand what Jesus was really doing. We look back now, we realize he knew exactly what he was doing. We thank you for his answer to our need. That when Hosanna, please save us, was declared, he said yes. And then with Hosanna, thank you for saving us. Yes. My prayer today for those on the please side is that there be a softening of heart, a desire to surrender to Christ. For those of us on the thank you side, that we would not let our circumstances dictate our attitude, but that we would experience joy because of all that's promised, all that's coming. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.